um, we've been we've been talking as part of that. We've been talking about the the secret of praying powerfully, the secret of praying powerfully, and uh, I'm gonna in in about five minutes summarize what we've talked about the last two Sundays, um, kind of anchored. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the secret to praying powerfully. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. See, that's the secret. If we know we're praying what God wants, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know that whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. See, that's the secret, is knowing what God wants. And I gave the example, in my full-time position where I work, i got to convince my boss that he wants what I want. <laughs> and if I, if I can show how what I'm shooting for is the same thing that he's shooting for, hey, guess what? I'll get what I need. I'll get what I want. Well, we don't have to convince God that what we want is what we, he wants. What we need to realize is what he wants is what we want. It's the same. It's one and the same. He wants healing. We want healing. You know what? He wants us to be free. We want to be free. All right? So what we have to understand is, God, what is your good pleasure? What do you want? What is your will? And if I pray according to his will, I know that I'm going to have that prayer answered. Here's the thing. He initiates what he wills. Think about it in your life. If you want something, you're going to go make it happen, you know? If you want to eat, like last night, um, we ordered, uh, what is it called? Pizza from Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. One of my favorite pizzas. And I ate two pieces of pizzas, and I stopped. But my will, my desire, was to eat more. So I gave it about an hour and a half, and I went back into the kitchen and pulled out another wonderful piece of pizza, and my will drove me to eat even more pizza. All right? So your will initiates action. You're going to do what you want to do. It just happens that way. Willpower, by the way, and I'm getting off on a rabbit trail, willpower will never get you to where you need to be. Only desire. Only desire. So what drives us closer to God? A desire is what drives us closer to God. Willpower to get up and read your Bible every morning and pray and tell people about Jesus, that only happens because you want to do it. And so we need to pray, God, put the desire in my heart to propel me in. But God's no different in that respect. His will is an initiative for him, and he goes. And so what we need to do is agree with his will that he initiate his work. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done, God. Your kingdom come. come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, because God is going to do what he wants to do. And so that's one of the secrets to prayer, is realizing God's on the move. I need to join up with God and get get. Uh, his will accomplished. Here's another thing we talked about. Our prayers don't initiate God's action. Our prayers simply join God's, what God has already initiated in somebody. God wants your kids and your grandkids to be saved more than you want your kids and your grandkids to be saved. So instead of feeling like you're pulling God, as we've talked about, God, come on, save my boy, save my girl. And we say, God, I know you want to save my boy. 
Lord, you do the work, and I'm here praying on my knees with you, God, that it be done. See, that's a lot easier to pray that way because you realize God's already on the move. I'm just getting on the horse with him, and we're going in the same direction. That's why Hebrews 12.2 says, Jesus is the author of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that's causing things to happen. And our prayer life, then, needs to reflect this reality. We're not pulling God. We're going with God. So, uh, consequently, we, we looked at this last Sunday. If that's the case, if God's on the move, he's taking the lead, then what do I need to be doing? I need to be waiting Watching and listening. Three things that I see in the scriptures over and over and over again. Waiting, watching, and listening. And we saw that in Proverbs 8.34. It's, it's very specific about these three things. And, and uh, so if, if we're going to wait and watch and listen, though, <laughs> we have to realize three things. And this is really what we spent our time on last Sunday. Is God wants you to know his will. God never intended his will to be mysterious, obscure, occulted from you to where you can't see it. He wants you to know his will. We saw in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, concerning spiritual things, my brethren, I do not wish you to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the things of God, of the will of God. And Colossians 1, 9 says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. How? We continually ask God to fill you with a knowledge of his will. He wants you to know his will. And I guarantee you wouldn't be sitting here today if you didn't want to know God's will. So that's a match made in heaven. He wants it. You want it. He's going to show you his will. Acts twenty two fourteen. 14, we read last week. It said, God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will. He's not only wants you to know his will, he's chosen you to know his will. So that's item number one. When you're waiting, you got to realize, God wants me to know his will. All right? So that's a little easier to wait than on the Lord, to rest in the Lord. Number two, we've got to realize God loves, I'm going to talk about me here. God loves me. And he wants only good things for me. He only wants, he doesn't want to harm me. He wants to prosper me. He wants to give me a hope and a future. He wants to bless me. He only wants good for me. And so I can wait on a God that loves me. I can watch for a God that loves me. I can listen to a God that loves me because I'm not worried. I trust him. I'm not worried that he's going to harm me. And we see that in Jeremiah 29, 11, obviously, and in Isaiah 30, 18, where it says, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he will rise up to show his compassion. To show his compassion, not to just lip service. I empathize with you. No, I want to show you how much compassion I have on you. And then number three, we got to realize that God is always active and at work. And this is the one that I struggle with because when I'm waiting on the Lord and I'm watching for the Lord and I'm listening to the Lord, I'm wondering, God, are you doing anything? Because I can't feel anything right now. I don't see anything. I can't hear anything. But you know what? The fact of the matter is we find in John 5, 17, Jesus said, my father is always at his work. And to this very day, I too am working. God is always on the move. So when I wait, watch, and listen, I can be assured that God is moving. He is actually working. 
And so this, this produces a great deal of confidence in us whenever, this is the, whenever we're waiting and watching. And so let's, let's go on. Let's move on past what we've been talking about here. Um, and here's a couple of arguments. You might say, Steve, you keep saying it's God's initiative and that we're to fall in line with God's initiative. But what about the scripture that says in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What about that, Steve? That sounds like you need to take the initiative and that God will respond to your initiative. You say, well, what about that? That seems like uh, a contradiction to what you've been saying of the Holy Spirit taking the lead and always showing the initiative. Well, I'll tell you this. This is speaking not about praying for revival. (laughs) And here's where I might step on somebody's toes. You might disagree with me, and that's fine. This prayer is not a prayer for revival. This is a prayer of repentance. (laughs) This is a prayer of a Christian man or woman a, a person who is called by the name of Jesus, a Christian, a Christian, if you will, who is living in wickedness, who's living, who's living in sin. And what does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible says that God initiates the act of repentance. It's spoken of in, in Hebrews, it says that we're brought back to repentance. We don't initiate the repentance, God initiates. He says, he puts it in our heart to say, I'm sick of my sin. I'm sick and tired of stubbing my toe on the same thing over and over. I'm tired of this attitude. I'm tired of this addiction. I'm tired of arguing and being angry all the time. I'm tired of being overly harsh. God, I'm sick of it. And I repent. Who got us to that place? God got us to that place. He initiates repentance. He brings us to repentance. There's another scripture that says he draws us with cords of loving kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You see? And so this, this, I believe this, I've taken this scripture out of context much of my life, believing this is a prayer for revival. This is a prayer of repentance, which granted leads us to a place of revival and, 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 and having God's presence in our lives and changing our lives. But let me tell you what, this, this argument that this moves the hand of God, <laughs> pray that the hand of God would be, let me tell you what, God's hand is already moving. We need to get on board with God. We're not, we're not moving the hand of God. His hand is moving us to pray. He's already out there. He's already moving on people's life. He's already moved on my life. He's the one that initiated the work in my life. Well, then you say, well, Steve, what about that scripture that says, draw near to me and I will draw near. That sounds like I'm the one that needs to initiate something with God. Well, again, I think it's a scripture that's been taken out of context a lot of times. James 4, 8, that's where it comes from. Verses 9 and 10, 8, 9 and 10, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Who is it speaking to? Well, the next verse tells you. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That, that word, that, that, uh, this, this context here of drawing near, cl- coming close to God, that again is for someone who's repenting. Yes, 
You repent and God is going to draw near to you. But he was the first one that drew you into repentance. That drew you into repentance. And then uh, someone might say, well, you know, what about this instruction of binding and loosing? Jesus said, whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose here on earth will be loose in heaven. That sounds like you need to go out and take the initiative. Well, there again, I think we misunderstand the scripture. In the NIV, it's a little bit unclear. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. It's in Matthew 16, 19. I'll read it in the New International Version, and then I'm going to read it in the Holman Christian Standard Version, which I think is a lot closer to what the original Greek said. But uh, uh, or the, the Greek expressed itself. In Matthew 16, 19, it said, I will give you, Jesus said this to his disciples, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, what's this loosing and binding, you might ask? What, what is that all about? Well, as a parent in my household, I can actually bind things. What does that mean? I can disallow them. If the boys are playing too many video games, I can say, guys, five more minutes and we need to stop playing video games. What, what do you think happens in five minutes? Video games stop. What did I just do? I just disallowed something. Why? Because it's in my purview. It's in my, it's my uh, authority over my family to stop things or to allow things. Because by the same token, my boys might be driving me crazy. They say, hey, go upstairs and play video games. All right? You see how that works? I just loosed them, and they went to go play video games. All right? I'm not picking on poor Cole or Kyle, but, uh, but that does happen sometimes. <laughs> Both of those scenarios. But you know what? Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to give you the keys over your own life, and you're going to start disallowing things in your life that you know don't need to be there, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and I'm going to let you loose things in your life as well. well what, what types of things? You know what? You might be having a stressed out day. Things aren't going well for you. And you, 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 you recite a scripture that says, let the peace of God rule. Let it be the referee, so to speak, in my life. And you lose peace in your life. You know what? God's going to lose peace in your life. But do you know where it happened first? It happened in heaven first. Because it reads, the scripture reads a little bit different in many versions, but I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard Version that says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth has all, or is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. See, it flips it around and says, God has already taken the initiative to bind abortion in heaven. Now you need to start binding abortion here on earth. It's already been taken care of in heaven, all right? And, and let's say you're struggling with depression. You say, you know what? Depression has been bound in heaven. I'm going to start binding it in my own life here on earth. You see, you've been given as a godly man or woman, you've been given the kingdom of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and you can begin to allow and disallow, starting in your own life, what God has already started in heaven. He took the initiative to loosen the bind first, though. All right? So these arguments really don't hold a lot of weight. God is taking the initiative and has already taken the initiative. We need to find out what he's done and start doing the same thing here on earth.
Look at this. Does this hold true with how Jesus operated here on earth? Well, look at this. This is amazing. John 15, 19. It's not a scripture that I haven't read before. It is. I've read it before. But John 15, 19, Jesus himself answered. He said, very, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. And some versions say uh, the son can do nothing of his own accord can do nothing of his own accord. He can only do what he sees his father doing. His father's already taking the initiative to do things. Jesus was watching, remember? Wait, watch and listen. Jesus was watching to see what his father was doing and went and joined his father in that same work. In that same work. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Well, if Jesus was that way, how much more are we that way? We're not pulling God. We need to see what God is doing and join him in that same work. That takes some time waiting on the Lord. As my Baptist friends call it, quiet time with the Lord. Spending time listening to the Lord. Uh, Studying the word and enjoying. We had our first worship service with with our, our youth this last Friday. And we were here for probably about two and a half hours. Part of that time was just goofing around, eating, enjoying ourselves. Part of it was a little Bible study that we gave. But the lion's share of the time was waiting on the Lord. And we cleared out about three rows here, turned down the lights real down down low, turned on some worship music, and those kids began to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Well, you say, Steve, that takes time. Of course it takes time. Is God worth your time? Absolutely, God is worth your time. Spend time waiting on the Lord. You know what another word is for wait, though, that's a wonderful word? Resting in the Lord. Resting in the Lord. Enjoying God's presence. Going in without an agenda and saying, God, I am going to spend some time with you. Now, all of us are different how that might look. Some people might actually be able to lay in bed and wait on the Lord. I'm not one of those people. If I did that, I'd fall asleep. Some people are good at waiting on the Lord on their knees. I'm not good at that. My knees hurt after about two seconds. Some people are good at waiting on the Lord while they're sitting. I can't do that. My mind wanders too much. What do I do? I pace. I walk. I enjoy walking with the Lord, talking to the Lord, listening to the Lord. You wait on the Lord, and He will begin to show you what He's doing. See, if you go straight into prayer for a loved one, a friend, whoever, and say, God, save him. God, help him. God, change him. You're not listening to God. You need to wait for God to show you what he's doing in that person's life. And then you can pray in accordance with God's will. With God's will. So we need to wait on the Lord. I can't overemphasize this, but this same scripture, John 5, 19, in the Aramaic Bible in plain English. Who's ever read that version before? (laughs) Maybe I've only glanced at it a couple of times, but listen to how this reads. This is interesting. But Yeshua, who's... Jesus' name, I guess, in Aramaic, and I'm probably mispronouncing it. But Yeshua answered and said to them, Timeless truth I tell to you. So every time when it says verily, verily in the King James or, or very truly I tell you, I love how the Aramaic Bible says it. Timeless truth I tell it to you. That means 
truth is timeless. What was true a hundred years ago is true a thousand years ago is true today. A timeless truth I tell to you, the son cannot do anything of his own will. And we're talking about knowing God's will. Jesus said as the third, as the second member of the Trinity, I can't do anything of my own will. I can only, uh, but the things that he sees the Father, his Father doing, for those things that the Father does, these also the Son does like him. Isn't that refreshing? So relax. Take a deep breath. Let God take the lead. We studied recently that being led of the Holy Spirit literally means to be carried by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit begin to carry you through your daily living and stop trying to make things happen and let God start making things happen. You start living that way, you're going to live a stress-free, peaceful, wonderful life. If you're out of money, praise God. Just let God just carry you through and provide for you. If you're sick, take a deep breath and say, God, you're going to carry me through my problems. If you have some terrible relationship problem with someone that you love, let God carry you through that. Stop trying to control everything. Stop trying to control it. Let God take the lead. Let him take the initiative. Now, I've given you many examples. I'll give you yet another one. The stories of Moses, all true. Every time I say story, I worry that somebody's going to think that I don't believe these stories to be true. I believe them to be completely true. But yet they are a story. They're a true story. How about that? Look at some of the things that, that Moses... Who, you tell me, did Moses take the initiative? Did God take the initiative? So listen to this. Israel's rescue from Egypt. Who rescued Israel from Egypt? Who started the process and finished the process of rescuing two million Jews from Egypt? Did Moses or God? God did it. He took the initiative. All right? Who took the initiative when Moses was in Egypt? And if you don't know these stories, read Exodus. There's, there they're intensely interesting, very, very interesting stories, all right? So if you say, I'm, I'm a person I can't read, I, I just don't enjoy reading. Read Exodus, you'll enjoy the reading, all right? You'll enjoy it. I, I heard somebody say recently, you know what? I started reading the Bible. I read one chapter, I read another chapter, and three hours later, I was still reading, all right? It's what happens with the Word of God, right? It's powerful. It's awesome. It, it captures your imagination, your attention. It changes your life. So read Exodus. Well, look at this. The specifics, so there's 10 plagues, I believe, right? There's 10 plagues. And who gave the specific instruction for each plague? Moses, do this. Moses, do that. It was God. God initiated everything, all right? The Exodus from Egypt, when finally 10 plagues worked, the 10th one worked, and they were actually getting all caught up, who led them out of Egypt? It was God. He initiated it. Who directed them across the Red Sea? It was God. Who moved them towards Mount Sinai? It was God. How long did the Israelites stay at Mount Sinai? Who decided that? It was God. <laughs> all right? Who gave all the specifics of God's law? It was God. How and when did they go to the war with the Amalekites? Remember that story where the Amalekites, I think, came towards them? And you know what? God directed everything. He told Moses, lift up your hand with your staff. Here's Moses over 80 years old. How many of you 
who are over 80 years old could hold a staff in your hand for hours and hours and hours. You, you know, I, I can't do that. None of us can do that. But you know what? God directed that. God gave the victory there. Who, who allowed them and prompted them to go, to the, go into the promised land? It was God. All of these things, it was God. You read the Bible and you'll find it was God. It was God. It was God. It was God. It wasn't a man. It wasn't a woman. It was always God that initiated things. Why do we put ourselves under such pressure to make things happen when it's always going to be God? If it's always been God, it'll be God now, and it'll always be God in the future. We could prolong our lives far more, fewer heart attacks, fewer strokes, fewer anxiety, panic attacks, because we know God is in control. And we're praying, God, your will be done, your kingdom come. I know I've got those flipped backwards. Here we go. So Moses was known for this powerful, our, our whole deal is how to pray powerfully. Moses prayed powerfully. Moses prayed powerfully. I'm going to end briefly. Wow, am I really doing that well on time? This is amazing. This is a first. We're going to get out early today. <laughs> this is this is new. Wow, I'm I'm happy. Um, not that I want to be out early, but anyways, let's let's continue on. <laughs> yeah, Jenny just said thank you, Jesus. <laughs> look at look at how Moses interacted with God, and just kind of sit back, breathe, just just receive this. All right, just listen to this. You don't have to study this very hard. This is in Exodus 33, verses 7, and then the following verses, all right? This is how Moses prayed powerfully. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp. This is while they were still in the desert um, between Egypt and the Promised Land for 40-some-odd years. No, 40 years. Um, He'd pitch a tent outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of Meeting. Now, it struck me, actually, very recently, I thought that this was the, the tabernacle tent, but I don't think it was. I think this was a separate, just, tent that he pitched outside the camp some distance away. And we're talking about praying powerfully. What do we need to do? We need to go out of the camp, out of our distractions, away from work, and just spend some time with God. Can you, in the midst of your distraction, in the midst of, midst of stress and pressure, can you spend time with God? You can, but it's, it's, a lot, it's not very enjoyable. Are you a morning person? How many morning people are we, do we have, all right? That needs to be your time with the Lord. How many night owls do we have, all right? That needs to be your time with the Lord, <laughs> all right? Everybody's different. I tend to enjoy lunch times with the Lord. That's, so every, find your time Leave the camp, leave your distractions, and spend time with God when you're freshest, is my point. When you're freshest. All right, so he pitched this camp, excuse me, this tent outside the camp, the tent of meeting. And listen to this, the next, uh, next sentence here. It says, anyone inquiring of the Lord, I'm in Exodus 33, 7. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So let me tell you what, when you have a question, go to God. Go to God. 
a question sparks interest or curiosity. And when you're curious or interested about God, you're going to go to God. I have found one of the most important things for me to do is keep a high level of curiosity and interest because that drives me to read my Bible. It drives me to pray. It drives me closer to God. And so anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Verse 8. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people stood rose and stood at the entrance of their tent. So I can kind of see Moses, who was, he's a man of, I mean, he had so much of the presence of God. People knew where he, when he was there, he would, he, they knew he was going towards the, the, the tent of meeting. Two million people would stand at the, their tents. They would stand as Moses walked by. And when he entered the tent, as Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. Now this is Apparently the same pillar, the whole story of the children of Israel, for 40 years they were led, here's God initiating, by a pillar of smoke in the day and a pillar by fire, a fire at night. Well, that sounds kind of nice. The desert gets cold at night, and so this pillar would actually warm them, and during the day I bet the pillar of cloud would actually cool them. But the fact of the matter is this very huge pillar would come down and meet, it was, it was a, sim, a, a symbol of the presence of God would come and meet with Moses. So Moses would go out to this tent of meeting and listen to these words. This, this pillar would come down, stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. While the Lord spoke with Moses, not while Moses spoke with the Lord. What does that mean? I think we need to take our prayer paradigm and shift it flip it. Instead of 90% of our time talking to God and 10% listening, we need to say, you know what? I'm going to listen to you. The Lord spoke to Moses 90% of the time. And at the end of our prayer, say, God, by the way, can you heal this person? Can you bless this person? Can you fix this situation? Can you help me with my work? And the, the asking goes really quick. You do the asking at the end and do the waiting and the enjoying and the special time with God at the beginning and let it be the lion's share of your time with God. Wouldn't that be a lot more enjoyable? Probably pray a lot more if we did that. So the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the Lord, they all stood and what did they do? They worshiped. And that gives me another indication of, of Moses' prayer, prayer time. It was spent predominantly worshiping the Lord. Worshiping. What is worship? It's just giving worth to God. Worship is worthship. He's valuable to me. How valuable is God to you? Think about it. Is he super valuable, medium valuable, or a little bit valuable? Well, However that lines up, that's how much worship you'll give to God, how much worship you'll give to God. Give him, you know what, I can't force, I, you know, when I was thinking God was 20% valuable, I couldn't force myself to 30% valuable. I tried, God, you're so awesome, and I wasn't even thinking he was awesome in my heart. <laughs> God, I praise you, and I wasn't even praising him in my heart. So if you're 10% with God, hey, at least you're 10%, right? Give God 10%, and little by little, your worship of God, your value of God is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. So if you say, I have a tough time worshiping God, it's because I'm not condemning you because I've, I've been there as well. You're valuing God very little. Ask God, God, help me to value you more. 
Worship isn't about raising your hands and praising God and singing. It's how much you value God. That's all it is. And so you say, God, help me to value you more. And he will honor that prayer. So the, the people stood and they worshiped and each at the entrance of their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one as a, as a man speaks to a friend. That's where I'm not there. I want to get there. Don't you want to be that close to God? So it's not hard. I come into my prayer time and it takes 15, 20 minutes, maybe longer for me to even get focused. All right. Can you imagine walking straight in and talking to God like a man talks to his friend? Well, that's how God spoke to Moses face to face. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, I find this very interesting, Joshua, son of Nun, didn't leave the tent. Wow. Joshua was getting a learning going on there. He was getting some education. He would sit in that tent and listen to God and Moses talk back to each other. What an amazing thing. And, and that's a whole other conversation. When Moses died, God said, I'm going to be with you just as I was with Moses. And what that rung true to, to Joshua is he had listened in on those conversations. He said, thank goodness God is going to be speaking to me just like he spoke to my mentor Moses. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, Moses, and I found favor with you. If you were pleased with me, this is Moses talk, uh, talking, he said, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. And I, there's a song we used to sing, teach me your ways. I want to walk with you. I, I can't remember how it went. Yeah, show, yeah, show me your ways. I want to I know God's ways. And I think it's Psalms 103. It says, God showed his ways to Moses and his deeds to the children of Israel. Which one of those two do you want to be? Do you want to just see God's deeds, or would you like to know how God does it? I want to know God's ways. And in Isaiah, it talks about the highway of holiness. I want to walk in God's ways. In that same chapter in Isaiah, it talks about the highway of holiness. It also says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, God, show me your thoughts. <laughs> well, God, show me your ways. And in the New Testament, it talks, and I think in Acts, it says, you know, in Romans, we have the mind of Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ. We can have God's thoughts. We can walk in his ways. So praying powerfully, we begin to know God's ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor in you. Remember this nation who is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And every year for the last four or five years, God gives me a theme for my life, for, my, for that year. And my, my theme this year is wait on God and rest in him. Wait on God and rest in him. Learn to do it. Practice it over and over. I get all worked up and I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, and God says, no, no, remember the theme this year? Rest in me, wait on me. Rest in me, wait on me. And he's, he's teaching me little by little. I'm, I'm six months into this, and I'm a lot farther along than I was at the beginning of the year. So he says, I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up here. 
I don't want to go if you're not going, God. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples of the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses says, show me your glory. See, we're, we're, it's like we're sitting in on Moses' prayer with God. You can pray this way. You can pray the same way. Take this example. And the Lord says, I will cause. Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I want to end with this. God's glory is God's goodness. I used to think people always say, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I was like, that would be an awesome thing to see God. Awful thing to see God's glory. God's enormous, but you know what God called it? His goodness. The very glory of God is his very goodness. So I do want to see God's glory. I do want to see God's glory because that is his goodness. Only these things can be learned in prayer. Only these things can be caught as you wait on the Lord and you rest in the Lord and you spend time on the Lord. So going around bragging, I spent 30 minutes in prayer today. Well, did you wait on God? <laughs> did you hear from God? Did you learn anything from God? I mean, I'd rather do 10 seconds and learn something from God than three hours and not learn anything. This is not a religious exercise is what I'm saying. This is relationship with God. Relationship with God. And those days when you can't spend concentrating time on God, spend the 10 minutes while you're driving waiting on the Lord. Washing dishes, waiting on the Lord. Whatever you do, just wait on the Lord, man. Make it a lifestyle.